This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My guest this week is the director of the King's College London Policy Institute, Professor Bobby Duffy. Bobby, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, you've recently published a report into the generational gap in support for the Conservative Party. Now, for listeners who haven't read your report yet, could you give an overview of some of your findings? I suppose the key pattern is this enormous increase in range between uh, levels of support among youngest and oldest generations for the Conservative Party in particular. So... You have over half of the oldest generations, like the pre-war generation and then baby boomers, saying they're supporters of the Conservative Party. And then it goes down to into the teens for Generation Z. So you've got this 40 percentage point range between oldest and youngest, which is is there's always been a bit of a gap, uh, quite a large gap uh, often between oldest and youngest on Conservative support. But this is much, much larger uh, used to be around 10 percentage points, then it increased to 20 percentage points, and now it's up to 40 percentage points. It's a, a fascinating piece of research. And you know, as you say, the, those gaps are absolutely immense. The central argument throughout the report is that it's the millennial generation that's really got the, I suppose, the potential to kill off the Conservative Party if the, these trends continue. Now, you know, it's it's long been the case that, you know, the, the older you get, the more conservative or more right wing you tend to get. But currently, younger generations aren't seeming to follow that that pattern. Why do you think this is? Yeah, this is something called a political life cycle, where um, there's there's lots of sayings around this that things like if if you're not a, a liberal Labour supporter when you're 25, you've got no heart, and if you're not a Conservative supporter by the time you get to 35, you've got no head. Um, meaning, implying that you kind of grow up and grow into different sorts of attitudes as you go through different stages in life and perhaps get married, have kids in your own home. All of those different types of things may change your views of what's important to you. Um, And and it's true. It seems that that's not happening with millennials because millennials are no longer that young. They're coming into their, the oldest of them are coming into their early 40s, but they haven't followed that pattern of becoming more likely to be conservative Mm -hmm. supporters as, as they've gone through those stages. And then Gen Z, which is the younger generation, are even less likely to support the Conservatives. So, yes, we're seeing this break. And, and the reasons are, are probably multiple. Uh, when you see a big change like this, there's often more than one explanation. But I think it's a mix of economic factors and cultural factors. Mm. So on the economic side, it has just been a much tougher time for younger generations mm. to uh, increase their income 
increase their wealth, particularly through owning their own home. That's been a, mm. an enormous challenge for younger people. So that definitely has an effect. And, and lots of government decisions haven't helped them in that, mm. um, in terms of protecting the housing market over mm. young people uh, themselves. And But there is also a cultural factor to that. We have put cultural difference closer to the heart of our politics than, than mm. we had in the past. So culture wars or woke versus anti-woke, and it's just naturally the case that younger generations are more comfortable with changing social norms. So if um, uh, a political party is arguing for a more traditional view of culture, then they're, they're naturally going to create a bit of a gap between them and the youngest generation. So mm-hmm. I think it's a mix of these factors coming together. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned culture, and that was some of the aspect that really stood out to me in the report. The report does allude to the fact that those cultural issues at the moment really do play into these divides that we see between the demographics today. So mm-hmm. as, as, could, could you just expand a bit more on that particular part of the report and how these, I suppose, if you like, culture wars actually play into the support for either of the, the main political parties? Yeah, I think there's been a long-term trend across Western developed countries uh, where cultural differences have been put more and more at the heart of our politics. When um, There's great analysis of all the manifestos across 21 different countries that show that there's been a switch towards cultural promises from economic promises, mm-hmm. and that's partly because nations don't have so much control over the global economic environment. So they, they focus much more on things like immigration um, or issues around free speech and and those types of things. And 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 we have had this enormous increase in focusing our media and politics on culture wars. We saw, we saw that in a different study that we did that actually looked at media coverage of different culture war terms. Uh, and we've gone from having zero articles that use the term cancel culture in uh, UK newspapers in 2017 to 3,600 articles wow. that use the term culture, uh, cancel culture yeah. uh, by 2021. Um, so we've, we've really focused on this sense of culture change and this threat mm. some people feel from culture change. Uh, and when, when you see trends like that and big shifts, it's bound to set a different sort of tone. And, and there is a, a real... Uh, change in political communications that has focused on this woke versus anti-woke rhetoric, mm-hmm. which we've more or less imported wholesale from uh, mm-hmm. the US. And these 21 manifestos that you've analysed, are these exclusive to the UK, Europe and the United States? Or is this a worldwide trend that you've noticed? This it wasn't our work, just to be clear. This was an oh, okay. academic Peter Hall did this work, but it's um, uh, that part of the work. Um uh, it, yes, it is. It's Western developed democracies, which will be uh, Europe and um, English speaking developed uh, nations. Aside from these cultural issues, and you mentioned housing policy as well, are there any particular issues or policy areas that really stood out when you were writing this report, doing your research, that were real game changing issues for younger voters and uh, younger demographics within the electorate? Yeah, I mean, there is a general sense of is there a generation on generation improvement in living standards that's possible for people? Mm. We've kind of lost that sense of hope that each generation will do better than the last. And that we got very used to that very quickly in mm. uh, post-war uh, economic growth and, um, and increases in wages and increases in levels of private wealth. We got very used to it, but it really kind of broke 
down with millennials and and I, you should really I do need to really emphasize that housing point because that is mm. really at the heart of lots of these issues and i don't think there is a better generational future possible without mm. sorting out um the housing market in all sorts of ways not just yeah. owning but renting as well millennials and, and now gen z just have incredibly different life courses mm. because they cannot get onto uh, the housing ladder uh, or mm. they are uh, giving up so much of their income in mm-hmm. housing costs with their their renting, so that is absolutely crucial. But it, it goes into other aspects too of wage stagnation. We just haven't had wage growth, real wage growth, um, uh, for a long time, and uh, that's before you get onto things like pensions and that sense of how do how do younger people actually get look forward to a decent retirement, as well mm-hmm. as dealing with the increasing pressures, particularly on the millennials, as they start to form their own families with childcare costs. Again, an area of policy that really hasn't had mm-hmm. much uh, focus from uh, the government at all. So huge childcare costs and lack of supply uh, of childcare provision is, mm-hmm. is a huge issue for those people, those millennial generation who are, who are going into already in that critical family formation stage of life yeah i mean housing is a, an issue we've covered a number of times on on the show and it's always one of the most hotly debated hotly contested issues that we've we, we've faced so you're absolutely right to point that out as an issue facing young people at the moment but again one, one of the most striking graphs on on the the report that you you published was the fact that you know when, when we look at support for the conservative party it's obviously stronger with older voters weakest with younger voters but when we look at the labor party that scenario is almost completely flipped on it on its head. So, mm. you know, aside from the quite obvious shortcomings within the Conservative Party at, at the moment and the issues they, they have currently, mm. what is it about the Labour Party that's just captivating so many of the, these younger voters? Yeah, it's a good question. It's um, it's partly related to the two party system that we have in the UK, where if you're if you're being repelled by the Conservative offer. Um, then you don't have that many places to go that are credible alternatives. Um, given first-past-the-post system means that it does tend to suck it into um, the main opposing uh, party. But I think, I mean, I, I, mm. positionally, in terms of the cultural debates, um, Labour is much more progressive as opposed to traditionalist in yeah. terms of um, uh, values. So that there is that element to it. And I, do, I think there is a... There is a, a a piece there as well, which is that any government that was in power during this very difficult, these series of very difficult economic circumstances would have struggled to paint a better future for younger generations. Uh, but it has been the Conservatives that have been in, in power for uh, 13 years now in in those um, terrible circumstances. So they take um, a lot of the hit for that. What, that. what that means is, for me at least, is that Labour can't count on this being a demographic destiny for them, that it, that these mm. younger generations will stick with them if they do uh, get in at the next election. They have to think really seriously about how do they break this cycle of declining opportunities for young people or at least mm. difficult uh, economic circumstances and how do, how do they paint a better future that young people uh, and these what will be now middle generations mm. Uh, can actually feel, uh, and that's a that's a that's going to be a real challenge for mm. Labour 
to hold on to that. Um, so they, they can't just take it for granted that it will stick. Absolutely. There had to be a point in which this, I mean, from, from the research you've done and from other articles on this issue, there had to be a point in which this seemingly terminal decline for the Conservative Party began. So you know, based on the work you, you've done, where do you think all this started? What do you see as being the catalyst for, for this trend? Yeah, so again, great question. It's, it's sort of, when you look at when it really started to spread apart, um, when it went from a 10 percentage point gap to a 20 and then 40, you have to look at the run up to and then the aftermath of Brexit um, mm. in many ways, because that was uh, that divided the country down the middle, but had a huge age gradient to it where um, younger people were much less supportive mm. of Brexit, more, more supportive remaining in the EU. Um, and so that 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 uh, gradient then became much more aligned with party political support as the Conservatives put themselves forward as uh, more pro-Brexit and seeing Brexit through, um, and Labour much more on the fence on it, even if it mm. um, didn't have a very clear uh, statement. But the, but the second thing that that did was that really put cultural change at the heart of politics um, mm. because when you when it comes down to it, it it really wasn't so much an economic argument it was an element of economic argument clearly mm. but it was also about the vision for what sort of country do we want to be with immigration at its heart uh, mm. of that aspect of it but then it kind of blossomed post post uh, brexit into being much broader understanding of what type of country do we want to be um on cultural and social issues. And, and again, it comes back to that that point that um, the Conservatives have found themselves uh, on that much more traditionalist uh, in values sense uh, side of things with uh, Labour much more aligned with that more progressive um, view of what, how, mm. what sort of country do we want to be uh, on immigration and lots of other issues. So uh, that uh, that was a, such a massive national moment mm. uh, in the run-up and aftermath yeah. of Brexit. It's not saying that Brexit created this. It was a lot longer mm. in the, um, in gestation than, than that. And there's a, a lot has happened um, since. But it did provide a focal point for these types of identity-driven politics. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're, you're quite right in pointing out that you know, Brexit wasn't the, necessarily the cause of this, but it certainly highlighted a number of the issues. And I suppose a number of the, those debates read their head once again in the 2019 general election. Now, mm. there's a lot of hyperbole that surrounds that particular election, especially when it comes to discussing red wall seats and uh, you know the, the the change of voter attitudes in the northern uh, midlands of, of England. And it, it's also seriously challenged the, just the even the idea of a, a safe seat. But as we look to the next general election, which you know we expect to be in 2024. Do you, do you see the the trends of previous elections of those traditional voter alignments playing out again, or did 2019 and indeed the debates around uh, the EU referendum vote and the debates that followed it, do you see those as reflecting a more permanent change in voter attitudes and, and trends? Yeah, again, I, it's nothing is permanent in politics. Mm. Is one of the big lessons in yeah. this, and this this even on the point about mm. millennials not becoming more conservative as they age and breaking the political life cycle rule. I think you need to be really cautious about that. Well, the mm. millennials are rejecting the current version of conservatism as presented right. to. I don't think that means 
that they are dead set against it if that offer changes. I think um, mm. that does it, it's a massive, massive barrier for the Conservatives that they've created, uh, but it doesn't mean that people don't change. And what, one of the things is, you know, when I, when I was looking at studying um, political behaviours in the mid-2010s, it seemed like, for example, millennials had given up on voting. That they, mm. they had a much, much lower levels of voting, much weaker sense that voting was a duty. But then you fast forward a few years through loads of big political events, big elections and referendums, um, and now they're much closer to the norm mm. in terms of thinking that voting is a duty um, and, and other types. of So things change. Politics is such a blend of powerful mm. cohort effects from generations, uh, but then also life cycle effects from us changing as we age, and then period effects from events, things that happen. So I think um, nothing is as set in stone as it seems, and, and it, it always changes and surprises you. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and so, you know, if, if, if younger voters are rejecting this type of conservatism that's being presented to them at the moment... What do you see as being the strand of conservatism that would appeal, that would potentially, uh, I suppose, maybe it is a bit dramatic to say, but actually save the Conservative Party in looking further down the line? Yeah, I think it is a really serious challenge for the Conservatives to come up with that Mm. that vision because they have um, painted themselves into a bit of a corner on um, their positions. And understandably, because Mm. baby boomers are a massive cohort um and vote a lot and uh, so it's a very valuable demographic to appeal to but it just the the inevitability is is that generation will die out and needs to be replaced and looking at that generational pattern for the conservatives that's it's the exact opposite of what you want if you're looking to the future so how they actually build that again is is a really tough one and again i come back to the point of um you can't do that without a compelling vision for how the future generational future is going to be better um than it has been in in recent decades uh and that it, it it's it's that blend of uh, economic and cultural offer uh, and vision for for the country and um 
and at the heart of it is housing um, mm. for so many people. That a complete, mm. uh, a complete review and look at how the housing uh, market works from private rented to social rented to uh, ownership is um, absolutely vital to establishing a foothold um, with those generations again. I suppose to try and find some sense of commonality between sort of the, the oldest and the youngest generations. Interestingly, on the, the economy in particular, it seems to be that the main point of agreement between sort of the, the pre-war and baby boomers and uh, Generation Z was that the governments should spend more money on welfare benefits for the poor, even if it leads to higher taxes. Now, especially at a time when we're, you know, we're facing such high cost of living, the tax burden is at its highest point for 70 years. Why, why do you think there is this sense of commonality between the oldest and youngest within society? Yeah, I, there's a couple of points here. And, and, and one is that, yes, it, it, it's a really, really important to recognise that um, the actual difference between the generations on really concrete issues of tax and spend uh, and and many other policy areas are not huge. They're not mm. nearly as large on the gaps on the issues as they are in terms of party support. So there isn't really um, a uh, a manifesto problem uh, in mm. the sense of what what is it that you you want to do that, that in terms of generational connection and, and agreement. Um, we we exaggerate. We often exaggerate the gaps between the generations on. A number of things when actually they're after pretty similar and it's quite understandable in many ways because mm. we're we're very connected up and down the generations through our families so we do want to see good things for our grandparents and parents and they want to see good things for their children and, and grandchildren so there isn't that on on actual issues there's not mm. these uh, big gaps the welfare spending pattern is is, a, is an interesting one because that's what's actually happened there is there was a massive decline in support across all generations for increased welfare spending if it increased taxes uh, up until the 20 mid 2010s again and then since then it started to drift back upwards so we've got mm. more of a sense that we need that and this is what we call it in um, the academic study of attitudes um, a thermostatic value which means mm. that governments often overshoot what the public are in favor of and then have to be dragged back by public opinion um, mm. So I think all generations think, gosh, we've cut back too much and austerity was too much. And mm. we have we've trimmed everything back to threadbare support for, for people in real need. And we need to do uh, rebalance that um, a bit. And that cuts across generations. But you're right that and it's actually the younger generations who are less likely to support more spending on welfare, um, even though they're more likely to be recipients of uh, of mm. um, out of work benefits and things um but that's also because they're more likely to pay tax themselves than older mm. generations. so there is a there is a a, a commonality there um mm. that means that it's not completely different visions on policy decisions that we have across different generations by any means and there's plenty of common ground that people could find yeah absolutely you're quite right in pointing out that that sense of unity to some extent between demographics but I suppose on the, on the flip side of that, to try and assess the gulf in changing attitudes between demographics, you, you make the case in the report that the philosophy of Thatcherism and Reaganism in the 1980s, those ideas of meritocracy, greater personal responsibility, individualism, 
has been a, a factor in the, those changing attitudes across those age categories. Why, why do you think that this is the case? Why, why is it that the, these ideas have had such a strong legacy within, I suppose, whilst the report does focus on the UK, it's not just the UK, it's, I suppose, mm-hmm. I say across the, 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 the Western world, really. Yeah, but it, definitely in the US and the UK, um, there mm. has been that, uh, and, and it's it's it set a cultural tone when lots of these uh, generations were growing up um, through the, uh, particularly the the older millennials were growing up mm. in the nineteen eighties and, and into the early nineties. Uh, so yes, and and it's kind of it's more that. Younger generations are, are at the end of a long trend towards individualism and personal responsibility as the state has retreated quite a bit from different aspects of, of their lives in, in the UK uh, in particular. Um, so, yes, no, they, they've got um, a it's not that uh, younger generations have a, a, a really strong economically left leaning profile at all. Mm. It is they they do have a strong sense of. Uh, that they are responsible for their own success and not constantly looking for someone to sort out. And that's partly because of that individualism that has been mm-hmm. setting a tone for decades um, now. So even through the Labour government um, uh, in the, the 90s and, and 2000. So so there is, uh, yeah, so there isn't there isn't a big philosophical difference there. Uh, which in some ways is, you know, um, slightly tragic for young people themselves because the mm-hmm. reality is there are lots of structural factors that have held them back. Um, yeah. So they actually blame themselves for not being able to buy their own home um, uh, rather than look at the, uh, the the more structural things of huge house price increases and versus stagnating wages and stricter lending rules. Half mm-hmm. of them agree that young people can't buy their homes because they're spending too much on Netflix and fancy coffees. Mm, yeah. And, uh, gym mm. subscriptions, which is, you know, that's, that's a sort of internalizing victim blaming uh, for something that isn't actually young people's fault themselves. Absolutely. And you know, certainly the, those comments from uh, the TV presenter, Kirsty Olsop raises a few eyebrows to, to say the very least uh, when yeah. it comes to uh, young people trying to afford uh, housing at, at Etc. So yeah. ju- just to finish then, to try and bring some of these these things together, ba- based on the research you've done and based on some of the findings of this report, how do you think the Conservative Party can reverse this trend? Or is the party just simply on a path of terminal managed decline? <laughs> yeah, the, the death of the Conservative Party has been predicted repeatedly throughout mm. history. It always looks like they're on their last legs, uh, partly because of this uh, profile. And then they find a way to reinvent themselves or reconnect in different sorts of ways, partly due to changing circumstances um, sometimes. Um, so I, I, there is no magic. So it is, on the one hand, it is dire in terms of this generational pattern. On the other hand, it doesn't mean a guaranteed end to the Conservative Party. But then finally, to sum that up is... It's a huge, huge challenge that won't be sorted by tweaking or slightly different positioning of um, the Conservative Party. This will uh, require a big change, and, and, you, and it find, you find it hard to look past Conservative Party suffering a big defeat in 2024 
and mm -hmm. rethinking um, how they have to approach and connect with younger generations while mm -hmm. they're in opposition. That that would be the most obvious uh, route that this goes. Uh, obviously, that may, may not happen, but it feels like Conservative Party probably needs some time uh, when they're not in power to rethink this uh, and reconnect with these younger generations. And finally, then, you, you've already alluded to this in one of your earlier answers, but maybe maybe just to expand a little, you know, despite this diminishing support for the Conservatives amongst younger voters, it, is it really the case that the youth vote is a demographic which the Labour Party can depend on for future elections? No, I mean, that is uh, very clear from the trends. It is, it's... Um, it feels very, very natural to us already that Labour has this big age gradient with much greater support among younger people. But that's brand new since the mid-2010s. That There was no age difference in Labour support going all the way back to 1983, at least, when we have the data. So these mm. things change quickly, um, and they are not a natural order of things, and they can move again. Um, so, no, Labour cannot count on that and they will need to work hard to make sure they make the right decisions and make um, young people believe and understand um, how they are actually going to make their lives better okay professor bobby duffy thank you very much for coming on the show oh, great to be here thanks thanks with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.